Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Peter Musset. And my name is Scott Powell, and this is The Word in the Hill. You sound like a news reporter. You sound like you're giving the evening news. Well, uh, today, uh, in the line of the pandemic um, insanity, I'm going <laughs> to say lots of things. That's a, with the, it's, it's probably because... Um, Dude, okay, so I had a bad day yesterday. Okay. I'm just gonna t- I'm gonna tell you, but, but it's it's also because I watched every live stream of oh. every politician that oh, like Lord, came my way. All. No, that's yeah, no, yeah, was, that's rule number one of the pandemic. Yeah, don't watch every like governor's oh. live. I mean, I was <laughs> mo- mo- more idea. than my own governor. That's oh, enough to to frustrate you. Listen to your own governor. Idea. Okay. Just, but like, let's just spread it out and see oh. what all the people are doing, and, and which is today's. That's going to be interesting. And then, yeah, go but, back to watching Lost. You're better off. Yeah, yeah, dude. I that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. Ugh. That no, you're not. You're going to watch live more live stream. You're going to watch Mayors now. <laughs> well, um, so oh. we're uh, we're uh, moving from the uh, from uh, Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter! Christ is risen. Truly, indeed, Alethos risenness. Hmm. <laughs> that's, Dude, that's the it, pandemic a, version of that. I'll tell you what, man. I, I, there was a long time ago that I just couldn't figure out. Like, it's like, well, there's hey, so many different versions of it. Indeed, he's problem. risen, and you're like, truly, uh, and that's the. I mean, like, it's like, no, dude, you just got to choose one and run with it, and just make it yours. Christos Anesthe. All right, there you go. See, I got. I even got Evie doing it. She's like, truly, he has risen. It's really See, funny. It usually takes her two attempts. I, I'm usually like, Christ is risen. She says, Christ is risen. I'm like, no, truly he is risen. She says, truly he is risen. I like that. Oh, it's the best. It's super fun. So uh, we're, we're going from the Easter Sunday and the vigil where I did all the readings despite what I said on the podcast. No, man. No, you didn't. You didn't. You left it open. You said you were doing an abbreviated version, which, um, you know, you didn't do any baptism. So it was abbreviated. Yeah, I mean, it was only an hour and a half for the vigil, which was pretty good. And I we know. did it in candlelight. Did, did you watch it, Scott? Did you I pray did. with we it? We sent you pictures. Yeah. and um, It was beautiful. Did... We had candles everywhere. We had kids had sleeping bags on the living room floor. It was great. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. It was, it was actually really beautiful. Dude, awesome. Well, we're coming into second Sunday of Easter, which is Divine Mercy Sunday. Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean that to come out sounding like that. <laughs> yes, it is. That was, Father, that was funny. I concur. You, you concur. I should have concurred. Oh, okay. Uh, where our first reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Okay. Our responsorial psalm is the same one we had on Easter Sunday, so we're just continuing on. It's Psalm 118, verses 2 to 4, 13 through 15, and then 22 through 24, with the response itself coming from verse 1. Okay, our second reading is from First Peter, uh, okay. chapter one, three through nine. Which, believe it or not, I'm very excited to talk about that. What? That's where I found most of my mileage today, and I'll I'll speak to you of my frustrations in a moment. Our gospel is from John twenty verses nineteen through thirty-one. P. Diddy, T. Diddy, T. Diddy, Tom Diddy Miss. Um, you love John, right? That's like your bread and butter. Am I right? Dude, I got to be honest. Um, I mean, I know you I love mean, Mark. I know Mark's your favorite gospel. Yeah. Well, but you I, I, have like a kinship with John, right? Well, this is the thing is I got to... Gr- okay, I love chiastic structure. Okay, okay, this is so... so. You should I make a t-shirt that says that. 
No, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. That would be the coolest T-shirt just to walk around with that. And, I love and, chiastic structure. Yeah. So that's what that's always very exciting about the this particular um, gospel. Yeah. I guess I'm saying that as I'm I'm hoping that you're going to carry some of the weight in John because I I I don't have as much to say. Part of it, I'll, I'll be okay. Here's all I'll be honest about. Um, how do I say this in a way that doesn't sound deprecating like you, to the podcast? Well, you're like, I, I'll be honest about this because I'm not honest about the other things. Ah, no, well, that's not true. Whatever. But to be honest with you, I read through the readings this morning and they just, they seemed, nothing excited me about them. And it was, it was, it was yesterday that I started looking at them and it was, it was actually kind of pain, like there was almost something like spiritually painful. I'm like, why am I not getting excited about these? Like, the, why is there nothing here that's like getting me want to talk about them? And I think part of it is... You know, after seven years of doing this podcast, I, I, at least in my own mind, we've talked about these things before, and I, 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 it's hard to just kind of internally, mentally repeat things. I know there's new audiences and there's there's new people and stuff, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I've heard Acts two forty two by from working in ministry almost almost all my adult life. I've heard this passage so many times. I keep thinking, okay, what is new? What have I not seen? You know, what, what, not, not even for the sake of teaching others in the podcast, but just for myself, because if we're not actually being edified and kind of brought to life by these things, then, then what's the point? And so trying to find, okay, what, what is the nugget that I haven't seen before? And it was kind of frustrating me. And then, the, you know, the story of Didym- uh, Thomas, who's called Didymus and his doubt. And it's such a beautiful scene, but I was just, I was struggling with these readings and, and trying to find something um, to kind of enliven, enliven my heart about them. Does that make sense? And maybe yeah, that speaks to sort of a spiritual sense. And I found it in First Peter, oh. which, which you want to talk about obscure books of the New Testament. I mean, the, the, the epistles of Peter are the ones that never get talked about, um, even in scholarship. Like, you can hardly find any books, commentaries on these books. But this, I think I found a little goldmine, at least for my own spiritual life in this reading. Well, um, what I love about Peter, though, is that he's um, he's very direct and, and encouraging. I mean, it, in a certain sense, the the directness of it makes it a little bit hard to engage past what he's he just kind of says what he's going to say. And it's really it's got a lot of force and power in it. But then. Yeah, I, I I really like it, but we should definitely start in oh, Acts of before we go to Peter, though. And I did find I did find my nugget in Acts. That sounds okay. weird to say, um, but yeah, let's talk about Acts. So we're coming right. This this comes it, it, a little context is necessary because this is coming straight after Peter's huge Pentecost um, homily sermon. So the apostles had been in the upper room, or the disciples, because it wasn't just the apostles. Mary, the women, the the uh, other disciples were there. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? The tongues of fire. They go out, they proclaim the gospel. It's the Feast of Pentecost, which means there are Jewish people from all of the known world who've come and gathered to celebrate the pilgrim feast in Jerusalem. They go out, they, they're lit up. This is... This is the moment, it's Acts chapter 2, in, in so many ways, that is the moment that all of the Gospels have been leading you toward from the beginning. Which is always funny to me that the climactic moment of all this really never happens in the Gospels. Yes, and we talked about this last week, of course, Jesus rising from the dead changed. This is the climactic moment of all of human history. This is when the world and the cosmos shifts, and God begins to reshape everything back to himself. But narratively, as far as watching the storyline, this yeah. is the moment that we've been waiting for. When you're like, oh my gosh, these apostles, these boneheaded apostles who never get it, it never takes, nobody sticks around Jesus for very long, people keep abandoning him, like when is it going to work? 
it works in chapter 2 of Acts. And the apostles are finally lit up with the Holy Spirit. They go out, they proclaim the word, they're speaking in other languages that are, that are discernible to everyone. And then Peter, as the first pope, gets up and tells the story of salvation history. He gives this beautiful sermon, basically recalling how everything that has happened has led to this moment. And it's because of that beautiful teaching. By this, again, simple, sometimes, like you say, overly direct, fairly uneducated country fisherman who's now in the big city with all of the elites and all these people proclaiming this word. Everyone listens. They hear, and it says, says, uh, if you back up a little bit to verse 37, it says, they heard this and they were cut to the heart. Um, some translations say that they were stunned or they were, it's, it's actually funny. I was going through all the different translations that I have looking at the different ways that that verse is translated, you know, either stunned or shocked or cut to the heart is what the RSV Catholic edition says. Sometimes the term can actually mean anger, but the point is what Peter says arouses something really big and really deep in the emotions of everyone there. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, okay, so what do we do about this? We've heard your word. We've felt the power and the force of what you've just said. So what do we do about it? Give us the next step. And he says, of course, repent and be baptized. And so they baptize, so, you know, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then they baptize 3,000 people right then and there, which is this monumental, huge event. And it's from this kind of climactic moment of the narrative of the church and where she has been led and now what she's doing that we jump into the reading today. And I, I think it actually matters that we know the context of what Acts 2.42 and following say. Yeah. Because they don't fall in a void. They're not just kind of out of nowhere. It's because of this, this. Yeah, you know, I, I found myself as we were engaging a little frustrated by the fact that we're not going chronologically and like living the the timeline of the apostles through this. Yeah. Because really, it's like we have a week of of them. We've got nine days of them like struggling and being up in the upper room. It's like the resurrection happens, but then all of a sudden we're, we're in... Even though because of the octave of Easter, we're, we've jumped 50 days. We're in Pentecost. I mean, this is like... Well, the first reading is. The gospel's not. Right. That's what I'm of saying. Of course, is, yeah. Is, 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 but, but I think it's important to note that like liturgically what we're doing is not necessarily... Like Jesus says, do this in memory of me. But then because of the resurrection, everything's kind of just broken open in an immediate capacity. And, and now the mystery can be intelligible. And we're going to go through the mystery in Easter, not necessarily live the same days with the apostles in Easter uh, yeah. in the liturgical capacity. That's right. And, th- and there's, there's a certain thing that's, that's consistent with the kerygma, because what Peter has done, he, the whole reason that, Acts, that what we're reading about happens in Acts chapter 2 is because Peter, so what, what's, what is the spiritual life? So much of the spiritual life, I think, is being able, I said this um, to the, the Bible study I was doing with the staff and the focus team yesterday, and I forget what I said. We were talk, we've been talking about John, and John has been, um, for the, the last few months, both edifying me and frustrating me simultaneously, because John is confusing to me, and he's the least linear of all the gospel writers, which, which is fine. But it speaks to this idea that so much of the spiritual life is being able to access the gift of hindsight even while you're in the current moment. Does that make any sense? Yes, it, absolutely. The, the spirit- we talked about that last week. We did. Was that last week that we talked about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And that's what Peter's doing. And that's what the, even that's what the readings of the Mass are doing. They're, they're not going in a strictly chronological order, but they're going in terms of, okay, if we remember this, 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 and this. Yeah, not necessarily in that order, but, you know, this is the way that we need to talk about them. This happened, and then this happened. No, oh, and by the way, Jesus actually, after he appeared, if we go backwards, which is a very, it's actually a very Eastern way of thinking. It's a very Hebrew way of thinking about a story, which is never, the whole Old Testament is not strictly linear. It's actually cyclical. You know, it tells the story, and then it loops back to tell it in a different way, and then it sings it for a little bit, and then it kind of jumps forward well, and yeah. tells this other thing. And well, that's because- what the liturgy is doing. Yeah, because what what we're dealing with is we're dealing with signs, and we don't always understand a sign in the moment. Absolutely, like, yes. Like like uh, hindsight, when you look back, I mean, it's it's only the most kind of adept that when they see something happening before them, they grasp it in its in its full import. But if like, you grasp something like that in the moment, what's the only way to do it but through the gift of hindsight of saying? oh, it's kind of like this, and we've experienced God doing that thing. Oh, maybe that's what's happening now, right? You can access, I mean, according to the, the course of salvation history, we can access what God is doing in the present moment because we know how to access hindsight and see the ways in which God has done things before. Yeah. Not in their fullness, obviously, but, you know. Right. Well, and, and for me, the, the, these readings are tied together with this idea of the sign. Okay. So like, so, so what happens is many, uh, awe came upon everyone and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Yeah. But, but the sign that we're, we're talking about, I mean, yes, signs on one hand, uh, I mean, John is known as the book of signs. Yeah, right. Exactly. L- Right, and and we we have seven main signs that that we go through. But what right. is thus what is the sign for the Gospel of John? But the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, or the resurrection, which you are inseparable, I suppose. Right, and, and 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 this is where I was like this morning. I was like going through my YouTube. I don't know. I, oh, I was like um, thinking about. Um, how do people present how to pray on YouTube and what's what's effective? So I was going through um, just just like things of prayer and man, there's careful Google like YouTube. Oh, that sounds how to pray. So I, I was yeah, I was like, oh man, there's some crazy stuff out there. And uh, and uh, but then I stumbled upon a video of this kind of obscure um, Irish actress who became a nun who ultimately then died in Ecuador. Okay. And and they were just telling the story of her life and it was just absolutely like holy like there was just a holiness around everything that this gal had done and and i just i was just struck because um it was the the sign of her life was so configured to the cross that there was a joy that got poured out too that mm-hmm. i don't know i just loved and so when i when i think about what is the sign of the of the, those who believe, like of the apostles. I, I just kind of am holding that in, in, in my heart as we're looking at these readings. Well, that's interesting because I, I think that ties into the, the thing that I'm sort of taking away from it, um, which is actually a, a translation thing again, another interpretation thing. And so as I was looking at some different translations of this, um, the first line that we get in the liturgy. So, so what we're going to hear in Mass from the New American Bible says they devoted themselves to these four things, right? These four fundamentals of right. the life of, of the church. The teaching of the apostles, right? So the, the doctrine, the communal life or fellowship with each other, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, and to the prayers, right? The liturgy, the liturgical structure. But there's other translations that said, and I was struck by this one, that says, uh, oh, I lost it. Um, 
they were constant in their attention to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And I was, I, 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 for some reason, that just kind of struck me. They were constant in their attention because when I've always, and again, this is this is a go-to for so many ministries. And when I was a focus, I think there's even a focus website, an internal website and focus called Acts 242, which is like basically trying to live this out and how do we do this. But it's such a, um, it's so familiar to me in the life of ministry that I've always had a very particular context, which is participating in all these things. How do you be a good Christian, how do you live these things out? Well, you, you devote yourselves to the teaching of the church, of the apostles, the teachings, to fellowship with each other, to going to mass, to partaking in the Eucharist, and to the prayers, the liturgical life. But in again, in, in not to make everything about the pandemic, but in this time of weird quarantine and everything going on, that translation of they were constant in their attention to meant something. It, it Something um, kind of welled up in me about that because... I can't access all these things right now, but I can be constant in my attention to them. Because in this time where I'm, you know, kind of stuck at home, I can be constant in my attention to, you know, I'm still teaching my classes, I'm still doing my thing, we're still doing the podcast, and it requires of me, at least in my state of life, to be, to be um, constantly, consistently and constantly attentive to what the church teaches. What is the church saying in this time? How are we supposed to read the signs of these times? What has the church always thought about stuff like this? I can be um, constantly attentive to the communal life. I can't be with all of my friends and the people in our church, but we have to make this kind of concerted effort to be with the people that, that we're with. You know, So I'm still doing this Bible study with our staff every Wednesday You know, over, over these social media platforms and stuff, which is hard and frustrating, but it is constantly being attentive to fellowship. And that it's actually now an imperative, not just something that's participative. The breaking of the bread. I have to be constantly attentive, not to, I can't receive the Eucharist, but I am attentive to going to Mass online, watching you. And, and actually, that's the one where it's like, no, now I can't just kind of sit back in the pew and kind of passively be there. I, it requires my attention now because I have a very short attention span. So when I'm staring at a, com- a computer screen, I have to be attentive to what you're doing or else I'm just staring at a screen because I can't right. just kind of show up to mass and go through the motions and do the thing. It requires more attentiveness on my part than mass in person did. And to prayers. I need to be more devoted in this time than ever to being consistent in my prayer life, teaching my kids. We're praying the rosary every or a decade of it because we're, we're you know, kind of schmoes, but we're doing our best to actually consistently. It's the first time in our family's life that we've been consistent for a long period of time. It's always something we've, we've tried to do and do once in a while, but we've actually been consistent in it to this attentiveness constantly, partially because all these other things are out of our life. And so all of a sudden I was reading this, again, not nice idea or something that's merely passively participative, but this imperative that the church is saying, no, this is what you need to do for this stuff to actually work in one's life. And because they did this, there were all these signs and wonders that were continuing to be done through the apostles and through the church. And people saw the church for what it was supposed to be, which was in and of itself a sign on the earth of what Jesus has done. Which, which I actually think is, is really powerful in, if we go into the psalm, because okay. you look and his mercy endures forever. His mercy yeah. endures forever. Chesed, right? Chesed, Chesed? yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Steadfast yeah. love, mercy. Right. And so like, it's, it's actually what we say at the end of confession, give thanks to the Lord for he is for good. his mercy endures forever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, be, because it's, it's the refrain when we come back and we look and we say, okay, what's constant attention? 
mercy is attentiveness like mercy which shows up in the in the liturgy of john chrysostom right um wisdom wisdom be attentive yeah yeah and 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 so it's it's this expression to where okay what is the mercy of the lord what does this attentiveness look like okay it's about the house of aaron and those who fear the lord and Mm. i was struggling but the lord is strength and and there's deliverance and there's joyful yeah. shouts and his works, he's working. And, and that even yeah. though th- that he's rejected, he's still working. And so his mercy endures forever. It endures, yeah. it's enduring. And so like, so that attentiveness and, and saying like, okay, what is, what is our presence? Well, our presence is to, to be um, imitative and to be attentive to the, to those things that really matter. Because yes, I mean, it's like, uh, it's funny how, how sour my mood got over the last couple of days when I, when I became attentive beyond what the scope of, of, of what I really should be attentive to mm. started, started coming in and, and, and in that attention turning, you know, a little bit away from what the Lord is doing and saying like, no, no, Lord, you're in charge to saying like, oh no, what am I going to do about this? Right, and then right. like, and then letting myself get afraid of what the world is afraid of rather yeah. than to saying like, no, no, I'm going to be attentive as God is, is. Yeah. that's um that's very very potent i think that that's why that's why like the world around the apostles it was how agitated was it it was a very agitated world absolutely right which is no different than today right we're a pretty darn agitated world well the other thing about psalm 118 and this is traditionally believed to be a psalm of of thanksgiving a kingly psalm of thanksgiving to god for having brought us out of out of trial or out of um a, a battle or, you know, a war that we were victorious in in some way. But a lot of scholars think that parts of Psalm 118, at least thematically, are pulled from Exodus 15. Do you remember Exodus 15? This was the, the song that Israel sings. Of, it's the Psalm of Miriam, I think, that they okay. sing when they crossed the, the Red Sea, when the Red Sea was parted and they got to the other side and they received freedom from their oppression and their slavery and everything else, right? So they sing. Right. What, what's, the, what's the best thing to do when you realize that God has set you free? You sing a song, right? You sing a praise of thanksgiving. And so, but if we remember that, you know, there's, there's a whole school of thought that says, if you read it carefully, Exodus 15 sounds like they're singing this hymn of thanksgiving before they're actually out of the Red Sea, and if you read this amazing psalm of thanking God, which Psalm 118 is believed to be pulled from in a lot of ways, thanking God for bringing us out of the trial, for setting us free, for, for freeing us from all of our trials and sufferings, while there's literally walls of water around them that could crash down at any possible moment, it changes the potency of that hymn of thanksgiving. To actually thank God for your deliverance when the deliverance hasn't totally been completed yet, is a real act of faith. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely, and, it does. And again, so I think that's pretty powerful for this time. Again, you, you said le- something. Oh, Go ahead. Well, you just said something kind of funny and true before we started the podcast. You're like, man, I, I sure enjoyed Lent more than I do Easter this year, which there's something about Lent where you're like, okay, I, I get the penitential nature of this. And it's I get kind of being in quarantine, the world going crazy during Lent because it's Lent. But now it's Easter, so it should be done, right? We should be done with this. It should be over. There's something in all of our hearts that are like, no, this is not what Easter's supposed to look like. But that idea of singing Easter hymns while still in a kind of captivity is very very much in line with salvation history. It's what Exodus 15 is doing. They're singing because we understand the deliverance, even though we're still in the midst of the waters. 
Right. Well, and that's that's where it's like I'm a little frustrated with the liturgy because what I want to do is I want to be in the upper room with the apostles and trying to understand. And, and I, I feel like I've been thrust into Pentecost when all the stuff should have been thwarted when what I really need is I need the, the healing moment of being in the in the community, in the upper room. And you, you know what I'm saying? Well, then for, then first Peter is for you. Well, it's, then funny, it's funny you say it that way. Why? Let's do it. Okay, so first Peter, this is, I mean, gosh, if there's one thing that's kind of consistent in a lot of these readings, oh, maybe he doesn't show up in the, he doesn't show up in the gospel. I was going to say they're very Peter-heavy readings, but I guess just the first reading and uh, the second reading. Um, but Peter, so, so I, one thing I just have to say about Peter, the, the letter of first Peter, we have to note, there's a lot of scholars that, that kind of discredit first and second Peter because they don't think Peter could have possibly written them, partially because the language is so elegant and the, the grammar is so polished, and he just speaks much better. And they're like, how can this possibly be the kind of boneheaded fisherman from the Gospels, right? Who's doing all these things and cutting people's ears off. And like, how on earth is he now this articulate, polished, you know, church statesman who's speaking in these epistles? Well, obviously we have to remember that this is decades into the future. And Peter has been living this and reflecting upon it and having that gift of hindsight for all of these years so that now in the epistle, yes, he does look a lot different than the impetuous fisherman from the Gospels because God has actually grown him in the spiritual life. And so, yeah, the same Peter sounds a lot different when he's older. Right. It's like uh, somebody sent a video of you from oh, <laughs> early uh, early in your life today. And I think about like you. I don't even know what then that was. To, I know you were. It was some weird coffee thing. Or I think about me before I entered into seminary and how eloquent and um, educated I am now, and how well mm. I present myself compared to then. I'm just kidding. These no, are all it's, jokes. It's true though, <laughs> but it is true. No, I, mean, I mean, I'm a, I am a, a lot more refined than I was. You give, give me twenty years. You know, you, you also, if anyone, understand Peter's plight, at least historically, as looking back, because. You, you have such a big personality and you were so renowned for so many things that I think people caricature you and they're like, you know, and now you've matured. You've been a pastor for a long time. I mean, you're not, you know, a 20, 25 year old, you know, huge froed headed, you know, kind of crazy guy. I mean, you've, people do actually mature. And I bet that's frustrating for you when people kind of put you in the box of like you when you were 28 or whatever it is. You know what I mean? When you're like, no, yes. I, there's other sides of me as well. And I, 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 that's, I feel like that's the plight of Peter in scholarship. They see this very one-dimensional view of the Peter who does some boneheaded things in the Gospels. And they refuse to see, oh, there's more dimensions to this person. Yes, that's, that's part of who he is too. But he's, every human being is multidimensional, right? And there's more to Peter than that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like people still like if people think I'm Kramer, then they've missed who I am. They miss who you are entirely. Because like the truth is, is that I have a little Kramer in me. That's true, you know, a little, a little yeah, crazy, a little adventurous. But 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 it's it's like that. It's like no, I. You're becoming I'm more actually... George, and you're and you're <laughs> you're becoming more Georgeous <laughs> as you get older. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Newman. Ah, uh, Newman. Uh, just... Okay, so here's what we got to talk about with First Peter. Um, Till you? I will tell not till you. Tell okay. me. Tell me. Okay. I don't know. I've, I've been doing some gardening. It's, it's a, I'm, I'm tilling the ground, you know? Till it up, baby. Okay. So here's what's what's also That's frustrating about this. That's what I was born to do. Ah, nice. Nice, Paul. What's frustrating about First Peter is that we don't get, well, at least for this 
time in history, we don't get the best part, which is the first two verses of this letter. So we just kind of jump into um, what's known as Peter's better cause. So this is a letter written, well, I want to talk about who it's a letter written to. So it begins by saying that in, in chapter one, verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, you could really say the apostle of Jesus Christ, the Pope, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Binthia, chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is a letter written from the Pope to this group of believers in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. This actually, those names of cities follow the ancient male route in this part of the world. But what I want to point out is that the Greek of this first line um, it can be read in two different ways, right? Either they are the chosen people, so believers who happen to be in exile, or they are chosen exiles, which is actually truer to the Greek. Peter says, I'm writing a letter to the chosen exiles of the dispersia in all of these regions who were destined by God our Father, to be sanctified by the Spirit. So you could read that, in other words, as there's a bunch of people who are suffering, persecuted, exiled in a certain sense in these regions, but they happen to be the chosen people, or that God is so big that he has chosen them to be exiled for his purposes so that he mm. can actually do something through their exile. And that's what I was like, wait a second, that says something to us. Because if you were in exile or you were being persecuted or suffering in some way, the easy, you know, kind of go-to is like, well, but I'm special. I am, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm doing all the right things. Why am I suffering these things? And the answer of First Peter is because he chose you to suffer these things. He chose all of us for whatever reason, for Pete's sake, he chose all of us uh -huh. who happen to be living in 2020. He chose us to live through this particular trial. Not because, you know, God is not attentive to these things or kind of, you know, something went wrong, but God has chosen us to be a part of this. And so what does that mean? It means that Peter is saying, although your exile seems unpleasant, the exile is within God's will. He's well aware of it, right? He's also saying that even though you feel sort of homeless, you are somewhere. You're not, <clears throat> you're, you're exiled, but that exile is not a homelessness because where are you? He says you are in the spirit which is mu as much of a place as any place is, that you're actually in God's spirit. And so he's, he's saying, why are we suffering these things? Why has God chosen to exile us? For two reasons. He says, number one, for obedience, and number two, for the sprinkling of your blood, or for the sprinkling of his blood. Um, and so Peter is basically beginning to show that these believers are beginning to imitate Jesus. And they're probably thinking to themselves, maybe like, man, I wish I was in the upper room. I wish I was back, you know, with everybody else in the Holy Land, like experiencing all these things. And I wish I had been there. I wish I was there at Pentecost, but I'm stuck here in exile. I'm experiencing all these things. And Peter's saying, no, it is because Jesus is calling you into imitation. So these are probably Jewish Christians living in the Anatolian Peninsula, which is present day Turkey, right? They've probably recently found themselves homeless in exile, maybe from Rome because of the Roman exile that was taking place around that time. Um, and so Paul's basically posing this interesting problem, right? That the, the Old Testament scriptures say that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes back, we're all going to be gathered together. That's what the scriptures say. When the Messiah returns, all of the people of God will be gathered back together. So if that's true, 
And I mean, translate it into the, into the present day. If what the church is, is the ecclesia, the kahal, the gathering together, why would God allow us all to feel so exiled and so isolated? And not only that, but, you know, this, this new belief in Jesus, according to the people who were living in this time, has probably ostracized me from my Roman life, right? My life is different. My life looks different than my neighbors. And not only does my life look different than my neighbors, but now I've been exiled on top of it. I was already feeling different. I was already feeling kind of ostracized. And now this, which, I don't know, in my mind is so similar to what I feel like is going on right now. And so that's why Peter refers by calling them chosen exiles. Because again, you're not homeless. You actually are someplace. And so you're being sanctified in the spirit for two reasons. He says by obedience, which, you know, we have these negative connotations with this word obedience because we think of when somebody says to do something, you got to do it. But for Peter, he's going to use obedience to describe laying down one's life for another, to imitate Jesus, be obedient, which you can almost interpret that in terms of the first reading where it says, be attentive. Be obedient for your attentiveness, for your obedience, so that you can wait on me and watch for me, so that you can have the sprinkling of his blood, the shared life of Jesus. And then he launches into this blessing statement, which is where our reading picks it up, right? Which, which actually, if you read it closely, goes through all the themes of faith, hope, and love, and says you can actually live and deal with this sort of exile because of faith, hope, and love. And he actually frames the letter that way. Um, basically, faith, hope, and love for Peter are analogous with past, present, and future. He says, think about your past. That's the faith aspect. You've been baptized. That's done. You've been born into new life. Think about your future. That's the hope. You know that you possess this inheritance, that it, it actually is real. You are headed someplace. And then the present is the love, that God really is guiding you through this time. He is fundamentally present. And because of your faith, because of the hope that you actually have, you can actually live out that love here in your exile because you can recognize that you've been chosen to do that. Does that make any sense? That's a bit of a, a diatribe, but I've been so like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to give you oxygen at the end of that because Sorry, you, I got so excited. But that's yeah, that's... yeah, because because uh, it's coming out. And I mean, it, it really like that idea that that we are chosen for this time. I mean, it's absolutely because it's easy to forget. It's easy to make ourselves accidents of history, right? Well, it's it's easy to just get victim mindset. I'm always railing on the old idea of victim mindset as if yeah. as if this is if this is some sort of triggering event versus saying, no, no, this is yeah. a training event. Yes, this is right. this is actually meant for something, for the love of everything. You have to recognize that you have been chosen for this time, for yeah. this mission in this way. And, and, and oftentimes we don't, I mean, any soldier, any soldier doesn't go like, oh man, yeah, you know, the, ah, like I just wanted, if you're, if you're getting hungry for war as a soldier, then you're not doing it right. Correct. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Right. right. It, it, yes. It's, it's like, no, no, I, I've, I've been prepared. I've been doing this thing and I will do this because it is right and good. And I'm um, going to be obedient to what comes. I will be attentive to what comes. Absolutely. Which is, which is where I, I think it's a great roll into the, um, to the gospel because, because okay. we have, um, you know, okay. So they are in the upper room. This is where I needed yep. a little bit of time in the upper room. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I think that a lot of people's experiences are a little bit like Thomas. They're like, no, we're on Easter Sunday still. By the way, this is this is the evening of Easter Sunday. Okay, yeah, where where everybody is like, oh, the Je Jesus is, um, oh, this is Easter Sunday, on the evening of that first day of the week. 
So that would be Easter the, Sunday, right? Yeah. So so what happens is Jesus shows up, but but Thomas wasn't there. But so think about this. So think about what's happened so far. So this is now the women had come back from the tomb. They're like, we didn't see his body. Um, Peter and John had run to the tomb. They're like, we don't know what's going on. Everyone's freaking out. They're like, did he rise? Did somebody steal his body? Like, this is right. the moment of utmost confusion. This is also probably simultaneously, and I don't, Jesus is in multiple places at once, it seems. This is also the day that the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. They're like, we're out. Like, there's so much confusion. There's probably bickering. People are confused. The road to Emmaus, the disciples are out of there. They're going home. Everybody's confused, so they lock the doors. And they're like, we don't know what to do. And T. Diddy, T. Diddy had taken off someplace. Who knows where T. Diddy is? Well, it, well and this is the thing is that he wasn't, he wasn't a part. And then Jesus comes and says, peace be with you, and receives the Holy Spirit, and his sins you forgive. And then he wasn't there. And I think that this is a really important meditational moment for mm. um, the church, which is experiencing a Eucharisticlessness. I don't okay. know if that's, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, let's go for it, man. You know, there, there, people are saying like, I wish I was in the upper room being able to receive Jesus in this way, oh. but I am somewhere else and I don't know what to do. Oh. And how frustrating and, and is this okay? And all of these things and here he is. And, but and there, he, may and, have had, he may have had good reason to be somewhere else. You know, I mean, we don't, we, it's, it's not right, I think, to read this as like, oh, what a loser. He, he, didn't, he didn't choose to be there. I mean, who knows where he is? But he could, right. have, he could have had something he needed to actually be doing. Right. And, and this is actually the thing that, that I see is that his mission, as he has been chosen to not be there. Interesting. That's really interesting. Why was he not there? We don't have an explanation. We, and, and he was chosen in the midst of this to go through the experience of this loss of Christ so that for all time we would know that it's okay to go through this. And to go through it apart from everybody else. He's isolated in that. He's, He's like, uh, everybody's together and I'm here. Right. I am isolated. And, 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 and he, he didn't want that mission. Nobody wants that mission. And he, <laughs> but yet in his fidelity and as he goes through it, what is this for? It, it, we, we, John tells us, he says that Jesus did many other signs. This is a mm. sign of Christ. Yes. It's, it, we have the big signs. We have the gigantic crucifixion, death, resurrection, but also the, the little moment to where we say, oh, um, where I look at Sister Claire and her, her offering of herself was a little sign to me and that, yeah. uh, that yeah. happened, that came to me in a YouTube algorithm. That's pretty crazy and yeah. beautiful that somebody well, spent that time. And so it's like our lives become signs so that um, the mi little mission that we undertake, that this is hard to believe that the little mission that you guys have in your houses right now, little mm -hmm. mission of fidelity and attentiveness to the mysteries of God are a sign of God and how he will use them. We don't know. Yeah, right. Well, and this is, this is what's beautiful is that just like that um, little Irish nun was a sign to you, this thing you found on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas called Didymus was obviously a sign to John, the beloved disciple, because he's the only gospel writer that records this story. And so somewhere John was attentive and he's like, oh, something's happening here. This isn't just Thomas complaining, right? There was something that actually was stirred inside John to remember this story and later on to put it on paper to say, ooh, people need to know that. Because what he's seeing is, you know, Thomas comes back, he's upset. I also, I, Thomas gets such a bad rap, you guys, because Thomas also has the courage in a certain sense. I mean, maybe he's complaining, I don't know, but 
he also has the honesty to be like, look, I'm really struggling with this. I, I don't think I can believe this. I, 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 but he, but he, at least he's honest enough to not, you know, go through these weird motions and try to say the pious things. He's like, no, unless I see the nails, I'm not going to believe. And the fact that then Jesus is, Jesus respects that. He respects Thomas's honesty enough to say, okay, you were honest with what you needed. So here it is. I will give it to you. In your right. feeling cut off and isolated, I'm going to give you what you needed. You had, you had to wait a little bit, right? It wasn't at the same time as everybody else. But yeah, you were honest with me, so I will give you access to this. I don't know. I think that's beautiful. But again, this is John. This is a sign to John, and he's now translating it to be a sign to us. Right. That's and 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 that's why when it says um, in the Acts of the Apostles uh, that we're reading today, many signs and wonders. Oftentimes, we think mm. just the wonders are signs. Like yeah, as, yes, right. As if, as if like the, the spiritual gifts are somehow this kind of great thing. No, the spiritual gift sometimes is just going and just the, the being true, being yes. true yeah. Um, yeah. about what, what's real inside and what's in real in front of you. But then being able to respond to the truth of the one Jesus Christ who uh, suffered, died and rose again and, and comes and breaks through the walls and is it says peace be with you and yeah. and and that's why that's why as we're doing this right now he can break through the walls and say peace be with you and that's I'm ju- I, I'm just thinking of the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, you're kind of the oh Kool-Aid yeah, man. you were kind of the Kool Aid Man for me today. You, I, Thanks, I was man. I was Sally Sourpuss <laughs> and uh, today and. And uh, you've you've really been the Kool Aid Man for me today. So thanks for being well, Jesus for, the Kool Aid Man. First Peter was the Kool Aid Man for me. So yeah, Amen. Because the ch- ch- chosen, chosen, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chosen, chosen exiles. And chosen that's exiles. The, that's right. And it's like I, I actually, it's like I th- I've been thinking about how I've been going through this a little bit, and there's a part of me that's been a little bit bummed out because I really don't want to do this time you right. know what i'm saying like right. i don't want to do this i i got a whole other mode that i want to do and having to think about th- this and doing doing the work of christ in this way is just really it's a it's a for suffering and i'm like and so i've getting been getting bummed versus saying like no i'm chosen i could we can do this we we can yeah. do this in a way that is actually powerful we have hope in jesus christ who Make sense of everything. He is yeah. the chiasm. Yeah, right. He is the Cairo, the key row. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. Whew. Ooh, that's, okay. Oh, that's divine mercy. Am that's right? divine mercy. <laughs> For real. I mean, hey, wait, wait, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Way to throw it in, man. It's Thanks, like. It's <laughs> true, though. It it uh. really is. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, uh, everybody. Um, this is uh, this is real. You got to go through. We w- there is there's no skirting around this. So we got to go through it. Even post Easter, there's no skirting around it. No man, no man. We got a little PT. We got to do for the soul. Oh, physical therapy. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week, everybody. Hey, absolutely. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. Talk to you then. Okay. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.